Welcome to The Well Podcast. We pray that this message ministers to you and blesses you as you listen. Uh, but this morning, I wanted to, to talk a little bit um, about jury duty. Um, I had jury duty this week. Um, yeah, bummer. Um, uh, fortunately, it's, it's a good week to have jury duty because the 5th was a holiday, so we didn't have you know, court or whatever on the 5th. Um, but you have to call every night to see if you are selected to come in, and, and then you, know, you have the tryouts and that kind of stuff. Um, <coughs> well, kind of. Um, but you can also go to their website. And I thought, well, this will be handy. I can just check the website. You know, I don't have to call and go, yeah, press one for English. Yeah, okay, are you sure? Yes. You know, I don't have to go through all that. Um, but then you go to the website, and it says, yeah, call the number. <laughs> so it has you registered there so, so they can go, yeah, we know you saw the mail that we sent you because you registered on the website. Um, but anyways, you call the number, and they tell you where they come in. I, I actually didn't have to go in this week, uh, fortunately. So, uh, so I don't know if they, they didn't have cases. Um, I understand there's a backlog of cases. Um, they didn't seem real anxious to have cases, so I don't know. Um, but I didn't have to go in, but, but, um, but I had jury duty. Um, and so it's interesting, uh, with, with that in the background of things, God likes to... Uh, let me just poll the audience real quick. Um, and I'm going to start with the guys, just the guys only. Okay, ladies, don't influence their decision. Please hold your laughter. How many of you guys would say that you're hard-headed? One, two, three, four, five, six. Okay, good. The guys are honest. That's good. How many of you ladies would say that they're hard-headed? Oh, wow. There's actually a couple of you that don't have your hands up. That's amazing. Um, it's been my experience um, that guys are generally hard-headed. Like, we don't get it the first time. Um, and I'll use the example of taking the trash out. So, um, no snickers and no elbowing your partner. But how many times have you been asked to take the garbage out in a particular week and eventually find it just sitting in the floor? Yeah, okay. So, so again, guys tend to be hard-headed. Um, uh, I had an experience where, uh, and this is years ago, uh, they were trying to, to put deacons in the church, and uh, I had been nominated, and so I go in, and they have this interview, and, and somehow in the midst of the conversation, that came up, and the, the two or three other people in the room um, that were other elders in the church at the time all went, yeah. We know exactly what you're talking about. So I think it's a pretty common thing to be, be a guy and be hard-headed. Um, so, so what does that have to do with anything? Well, when God shows me something, and he shows it to me over and over and over again, as he did this week, I've learned to pay attention to it. And so this week I had two different scriptures come up multiple times and I thought, well, I need to dig into this. There's a word here for me, for the church. I need to dig into it and find out what he's trying to share with me. And it came from the most 
unusual place. Uh, and there's, there's two scriptures. One of them everyone is familiar with. The other one is honestly going to be more ambiguous. Um, so, again, polling the audience. I don't know why I'm polling the audience, but I'm polling the audience. How many of you have heard a sermon from the book of Amos recently? Yeah, that's what I thought. Um, <laughs> yeah, maybe one, right? Um, yeah, true, because um, we were there together. Um, <laughs> that disqualifies you. Sorry, Ken. Um, but it came out of Amos, um, and Amos is a relatively short book. Uh, Amos is one of the, the minor prophets, uh, and, and if you know anything, there's major prophets and minor prophets, depending on how wordy they were. Um, and so, so Amos is considered one of the minor prophets, which means he's a shorter book. That's all it really means. Um, they're not in order in your Bible. Uh, they, they actually are in order um, from long to short, not, not in chronolo- chronological order or anything like that. But, um, but Amos is considered one of the minor prophets. And Amos is a bit unique because he was a shepherd. He wasn't a Levite, didn't come out of the kind of the church priest establishment. Um, he was a shepherd, called to be a prophet. And so much like us, I'm sure he, he had at times felt like, who am I? Who am I to go and be talking to these people, right? Um, and we all have those times where we have that self-doubt and whether we're, we're really uh, adequate for the job, as I do every Sunday. Um, but Amos uh, was a prophet, and, um, and he got a word. Um, and I would encourage you just to read all of Amos. It really will only take you about 30 minutes. Um, it, it, it's not a hard read. There's, there's not difficult concepts in there. In fact, it repeats over and over again. Um, but it's a hard book to read because it's a book of judgment. Um, and so that's what I want to talk about today is judgment. Um, judgment and discipline and what's the difference. Um, let me start in Amos 1.3, and this is the theme of the book here. Um, Amos 1.3, it says, this is what the Lord says. It says, the people of Damascus have sinned again and again, and I will not let them go unpunished. And then in verse 6, the people of Gaza have sinned again and again, and I will not let them go unpunished. And in verse 9, the people of Tyre have sinned again and again, and I will not let them go unpunished. And so you can see the theme here what Amos was called to do. He was called to go into Jerusalem and deliver this word about all these surrounding communities. These are, these are all the tribes that are surrounding Jerusalem at the time. And it goes on in verse 11, he talks about Edom and again, sinning again and again. In verse 13, Ammon, and they sin again and again. And this continues all the way into the middle of chapter 2 where there's a shift And in the middle of chapter 2, verse 4, you find this. He says, this is what the Lord says. The people of Judah have sinned again and again, and I will not let them go unpunished. And again in verse 6, the people of Israel have sinned again and again, and I will not let them go unpunished. And so here you have Amos that goes into Jerusalem and speaking to the priest and the, the religious hierarchy there in Jerusalem. And at first he starts out with all the surrounding tribes that honestly they, they get along with, but they don't necessarily care for. And so if you can imagine being in that audience and being part of that, he starts out and he says, this group over here has sinned again and again and God's going to get them. Hooray! 
and then this group, hooray, and then this group, hooray. And he continues on until he goes, and then you have sinned again and again. And the rest of the book, all the way from the middle of chapter 2 until chapter 8, kind of reveals everything that Jerusalem and the people of Jerusalem and of Judah have sinned against God. And in part of that, there's even this um, recollection where God says through him, he says, didn't I deliver you out of Egypt? And that stood out to me this morning as we talk about remembering. And so, so Amos is this tough, tough book where God lays out his judgment about Israel. And so that was, that was one area that came up. And like I said, that came up several times this week, and so, so I had to dig into that. The other one that came up comes out of Second Chronicles, and this one will be more familiar to you. And, uh, and this is one that you hear a lot, especially nowadays, and honestly, probably through all time. Uh, but Second Chronicles 7.14, Then if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I'll hear from heaven and forgive their sins and restore their land. Now that, that one is like the polar opposite, right? That, that one is, this is how you get back to God. But here's the thing, we forget to read the preceding um, uh, statement there in verse 13. And listen to what God is doing in verse 13. He says, at times I might shut up the heavens so that no rain falls. Or command the grasshoppers to devour your crops and send plagues among you. And so this is, this is where I started my search. This is where I started the week. And I'm, I'm looking at this and I'm going, how do I get life out of this? Am I supposed to come in and, and say, God sees your sin? He sees where you've compromised. He sees all that. And he's coming after you. He's coming to get you. But I realized in the end of this, and if you look at the end of chapter 9 in Amos, the real reason for all these things is not to destroy. It's to purify. It is to get the sin out and restore people to a greater state than when they started. And that's the heart of the Lord. But what it says to me is that, that we can go through seasons. We can go through times when there is going to be testing. We can go through times when things are going to be hard. And it's going to be at the hand of God. But it's not done without purpose. Would you all agree with me that we all go through tough seasons? Is anyone in here not gone through a tough season? Tough seasons will come and they affect everyone. They may look different. Some might have financial hard seasons. Some might have family and relational hard seasons. One of the roughest seasons of my life was the month that I was out of work. You know, and I'm a little more mature now, but when you're 20, 21 years old, how old I was at the time, and here I am trying to provide for us, and I know the bills are coming due, and we got, you know, I'm not pulling in any income. Becky was working at the time but I knew it was going to be tough. Oh, man. You just feel like a failure in those moments. Absolutely. Now, I can look back on it now, and I can see how 
God planted me here and then moved me here, and it all worked out. But going through those difficult times can be a test, and they can be difficult. Because that pain feels like pain, and that hard place feels like a hard place. And it doesn't matter where it comes from. Just like the seas were rough for Jonah as he's running from God, the seas were rough for Paul when he was on one of his missionary journeys. The seas were even rough for the disciples in the boat with Jesus. So your closeness and proximity to God doesn't mean you're not going to have hard seasons. It doesn't mean the seas aren't going to get rough, and it doesn't mean that, that you're going to cry out for help, even though your help is right there with you. And if you think about the pain, the pain that Jesus felt on the cross was felt just the same with the thieves next to him. And so those difficult times will come, those seasons where life is tumultuous will come, that pain is going to come. And in the midst of it, you might ask yourself this question, where is it coming from? Is this God's hand? Is there something he's doing here? Is this the enemy getting on me? Or is this just because I'm a knucklehead and made a poor choice? Because we have to be honest with ourselves, right? Not every bad thing comes from God, and not every attack is an attack of the enemy. You go home, you're speeding on the interstate, and you get a ticket, not the enemy. You're working on something, get frustrated, throw something across the garage, Break something else, not the enemy. Three of you know exactly what that feels like. You get frustrated with someone and mouth off at them and hurt some relationship, not the enemy. Right? So there's some weight that, that you bear in all of this. And if the shoe fits... And you know, some of this probably is a reflection on the condition of our hearts. And I can tell you that, that in seasons where, where I get busy and I'm doing lots of things, but I'm not in the Word, I know that my temper gets shorter, my fuse gets shorter. I am, uh, in, in our house, <laughs> I'm a bit schizophrenic, I'll just say that. My family claims that... Um, because, because we'll go on vacation and vacation wage shows up. <laughs> and when I'm being cute and, and I'm saying funny things and we're all laughing and joking, it's funny, Wade. Um, and then there's times when I get a little mouthy and a little sarcastic and sarcastic Wade shows up. And sarcastic Wade is not very popular in my house. <laughs> Shows up a lot, but he's not very popular. <laughs> but I recognize at times that, that that's because I'm not where I need to be. I'm tired, you know, I've, I'm, my body is sore where I've worked really hard. Whatever it is, all those things can kind of break you down to the point where you lose control of what's going on up here and it doesn't come from you. Now, with all that, 
There is one exception. If you're not in your right mind and some spirit's got a hold of you, then we need to see you after church, okay? Um, and, I, and I'm joking a little bit, but it's a true thing. I believe people have spirits that get on them, and, 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 and they're self-destructive, right? And people know that behavior is not good for them, and yet they do it anyway. And you can have a conversation with them, and you can say, well, well why did you do this? I don't know. And I believe spirits do get on people. Now, I think it's uncommon, or maybe it manifests maybe uncommon. Maybe people just deal with it better than I think they are. But I think some people really struggle with that. But I think our focus ought to be on the condition of our heart. All right, so here's what I want you to leave with today. Um, so one, I want you to recognize that God is a God of justice. Okay, and we'll talk about justice in a few minutes and what that means. And then two, I want to make sure we make clear the difference between judgment and discipline because they are different. And then the third point I want to make is when you're in the middle of those things, when you're in the middle of the sea and you can't find your footing, I want you to know where it's coming from because that will change everything. That should change your response. Okay? So that's, that's my goal. All right. So one, not everything comes from the enemy. We talked about that. Um, and, and two, a lot of that behavior is you taking care of yourself. It's you disciplining your heart. It's you guarding your heart. It's you filling yourself up with God's goodness and letting his spirit lead your life so that you don't make a mess of it. So turn to your neighbor and ask, what's in your heart lately? Mm-hmm. Right? That ought to be something we're asking, right? And as families, brothers, brothers in Christ or whatever, we ought to be asking our brothers that, that, that same question. We ought to share the burden of our brother. Amen? Amen. Thank you for that. I got one. All right. All right. So let's talk a little bit about judgment and discipline and what's the difference. Um, first of all, from a biblical context, judgment is a legal process of bringing about justice. You like that way that worked? I threw in a, another word that you have to go, what's that mean, right? I feel like the IRS suddenly. All right, so judgment is a legal process. So judgment is, is the fact that there is, there is a rule, there is a guideline, there is something there that someone has to make a decision as whether you violated that or not. And it depends on what your position you're in. So think about a court, right? There's a judge sits on a bench. And I know for like old school preaching, right, this is, this is the picture of God. God's on a bench with a gavel waiting for you to mess up. Guilty! And that's not at all. That is not at all what he's doing. And I can show you that in the text over and over again. Even, even what we've read so far. He let these other tribes sin again and again. Not because he justified it. And, and that delay might look like permission, but delay justice is still justice. Right? Because God is patient and long-suffering doesn't mean he's not paying attention. Doesn't mean he's letting anybody get away with anything. In fact, there was one scripture that talked about um, just um, 
Um, I'll, I'll see if I can find it. But it, it talked about your, your eating and drinking judgment on yourself. And this, this is where, this is, I can't remember where it was now, but um, I'll leave this on. But the, the scripture had to do where it was one of the churches, um, I don't remember which one now. I, I can find it. It's in Revelations where I read it. I, I can remember everything except the church it was in. But the church was getting into the communion elements, and, and I thought that was interesting as well because I knew this morning we were having communion. And I'm thinking about the church that would get into the communion elements, elements and they were eating it until it was gone and drinking the wine and getting drunk. I don't know if that's a really big church that has a lot of that somewhere stashed or what that meant, but, but obviously, one, they were violating the sanctity of the church, one, right? And then they were acting a fool. And so, the, so anyway, so they were being judged, but, but, but God let that continue on and on again and said, you're just doing it unto yourself. I'm keeping record of all of it. You just keep doing it. I'm just keeping record. Just keep going. Because God's desire is that you will see it and you will turn. That is his, that's his desire in everything. It has been from the beginning of time. Repentance of man turning towards him. All right, let me get back to my notes. So judgment is a legal process. So you can imagine it as a courtroom, as a judge sitting there, and he's going to bring around, uh, to bring apart, let me try that a third time, to bring about justice. That's the goal of judgment. Now, what is justice? You might ask, what is justice? You might not. Justice is a principle, and the principle of justice simply means you get what you deserve. If you have violated this rule and are guilty of that violation, much like you would be in a court in the U.S., in Berrien County, that I didn't go to this week, if you stood in front of the judge and the judge says, did you violate this law, guilty or innocent, you're going to stand there and say guilty or innocent. Either I'm guilty and I deserve punishment, or I'm innocent and I deserve to be free. And that's what justice is. It is, it is simply giving you what you deserve. Okay? So, for the person that's innocent, who maybe has been wronged, it's restoring that wrong. So, if something was stolen from you, it is unjust for you to have lost your things until it's restored, and then we can say justice is served. And likewise, if you're the one who stole it, it's unjust for you to have that, to have taken advantage of someone, until, again, you can pay that back. And then you can say justice was served. Okay? So, that's... That's justice. Now, God is a God of justice. Psalms 33.5. The Lord loves righteousness and justice. Isaiah 61.8. For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and wrongdoing. Isaiah 38. Let me try again. Isaiah 30.18. Yet the Lord longs to be gracious to you. That's a good thing. Therefore, he'll rise up and show you compassion. Thank you, Lord. For the Lord is a God of justice. So here, this is, this is one of those restoration ones. He wants to be gracious towards you. He wants to have compassion on you. And he, he's the Lord of justice, a God of justice. Now, what does that mean for us? Micah 6.8. He has shown you, mortal, 
what is good and what the Lord requ- and what does the Lord require of you to act just j- <sighs> to not be tongue tied. He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God? And then most of Amos, if you, if you go back and read through that, um, just really outlines the injustice that the people of that time had towards other people. Um, there's, I could have pulled out, there's examples, that like eight chapters of examples. Um, and I won't go into it, but... Um, but Everything from from stealing and lying to selling people to um, trapping people. This was something new that I hadn't heard before. But um, but they even describe in there how bond servants. So so um, in those days, if uh, if I couldn't feed my family, say I could come to you as a farmer and say, Hey, can I feed my family and I'll work it off? And you would say, Sure. You know, here's the grain or whatever. And so that became a, a, a bond servant. So they, they had a debt they had to repay. And what these farmers and people would do that held these loans, essentially, would cheat the people out of repaying their loans and keep them, essentially, as slave labor continually. So they were cheating people there. Anyway, there, there's any number of things, but God is a God of justice, and he expects that of his children. Like Daryl said, if we're going to look like him and justice is important to him, then we're going to act justly. And we're going to seek justice on behalf of people who have difficulty finding it themselves, right? So, it would be an injustice if God didn't punish people. If he didn't punish the violations of the laws, the legalities, it would be unjust not to, violate, not to punish those people. But this is where he's patient and long-suffering and kind because what he's really looking for is discipline. Now, here's the key difference. Where judgment is a legal matter, whether you violated the law or not, discipline is a family matter. Now, discipline says, did you violate or not? Yes or no? Okay, yeah. Here's what we're going to do to fix it. Because this, this is how I want to restore you. This is how I want to bring you back and turn you away from that direction you're going. And so the, the key difference here is discipline is a family matter, and it's the act of a father showing compassion on his child. It is always compassionate. It is always the hand of the father showing compassion, recognizing the ill, recognizing the wrong, and trying to turn their child back to him. And so we see two very different characteristics, or I'll call it visual examples of God, right? One has God as a Job. God as a Job. God as a judge. And if you think about the judge with a gavel on the bench, ready to declare a verdict, that's one view of God. And and certainly that's in your Bible, and you can see that. The other one is God as a father. Now. one, God as a judge, has to do with judgment and punishment. People are going to pay for their wrongs. God as a father says we're going to discipline and correct. As a judge, 
you see God's righteous anger against sin and injustice. And as a father, you see his radical love and patience towards his children. As a judge, you see the penalty and punishment lead to death. Where the correction as a father leads to growth, maturity, and richer life. Judgment happens at an appointed time. There is a day of judgment. There is a pending day of the Lord. As a father, discipline happens continually. So God's judgment will be poured out in a moment, at a period of time. And, and if you look in the Old Testament, the way, the way he did this was through a lot of catastrophe, the plagues, the locusts, all those things. That's God's righteous judgment on people who refuse to hear his voice. Now, something else jumped out to me, and I think the last time I spoke, maybe two times ago, I talked about fathers. And so there's a theme here that really jumped out to me is that the people that don't have a fatherly voice in the Bible face judgment. And much like the fatherless youth in our country, if they don't have a voice of a father in their lives, statistics show that they're going to face a judge. And so it's, one, it's ironic. I don't know, it's not ironic really. I mean, it's just the law of goodness and justice and everything that God stands for and, and it being violated. And thank God we have a country that somewhat follows God's example that we can say was founded on Christian principles. Whether they're still on those or not, maybe it's another question. But discipline always works. Discipline is always works with the intent of turning and correcting. Always. All right, so Matthew 7. And this is one that, that really changed in my heart here. Matthew 7, you'll be familiar with that. Verse 1, do not judge others and you will not be judged. For you'll be treated as you treat others. And the standard you use in judging is a standard by which you'll be judged. So unless you're ready to go into court and say, you judge me and then we'll judge this person I'm dragging in with me. Until your heart is that pure and that clean and your conscience is that pure and that clean, God doesn't need any help being a judge. He doesn't need you to be a judge. He needs you to be a father. He needs you to be a father. Because the other thing is, is you're neither capable nor qualified to be a judge. Not my words, Jesus. Verse 3. And why worry about a speck in your eye when you have a log in your own? How can you think of saying to your friend, let me help you get rid of that speck in your eye when you can't see past the log in your own eye? Hypocrite. First get rid of the log in your own eye and then you will see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. Until you get all that nonsense out of your life and you are crystal clear and you are just like Jesus, it's best that you be a father, not a judge. And that's how you ought to approach everyone in that loving compassion to turn them to the Father. So, what's our job? What's our role? 
It's our job to go to our brother. When we see our brother lost, headed in the wrong direction, doing wrong, being unjust, it's our job to go to them in love and say, hey, I've, I've noticed this. I love you. I don't think this is going to end well for you. I want the best for you. Can you just have an open mind? Let's talk about this. Lay that, lay that habit down. That's going to hurt you. That's how we're to approach one another. We're not to go to them in judgment. It's not our job to punish them. And that can be hard to do because our society says, you get yours. Someone gets you, you go get them. Eye for an eye. That's what the Bible says, right? And I'll just throw this out. I thought this was an interesting thought. And I'm not sure entirely what to think about it. But if you judge and punish here, is it unjust then for God to judge and punish a second time for the same thing? I know in our court systems, you can't be tried for the same thing twice. Somehow in our feeble, earthly, humanistic mind, we figured out that we can't try someone for the same thing twice. So if we're judging and, and doling out punishment here, are we saying that we're, we're like God? We know better than God? Are we shortcutting his patience and long-suffering? Now we have to be careful about judging. And I know people want to say, don't judge me, don't judge me. And it's like, I judge you. Just look at all this rotten fruit behind you back here. The word says we're to judge one another's fruit. But when you get to the person, you've got to be real careful. Because it's really easy to see if someone is producing life, if people are being turned to Christ because of what someone is doing. I have to be careful there, too, because there's people that are being led astray by false teachers, false prophets, those kind of things, too. But if, if there's death and destruction in your, way, in your wake and not blessing and joy and love and provision, I don't have to judge you. I just judge what you're doing. I'm judging the wake behind your boat. All right. Proverbs 3, 11 and 12. It says, My son, don't despise the Lord's discipline. And do not resent his rebuke, because the Lord disciplined those he loves as a father, the son that he delights in. So this is a beautiful picture of a loving father. And this is how God looks at us. When he disciplines us, how many of y'all as parents, when you discipline your child, it hurts a little bit? It hurts a little bit. It's not an easy thing to do, and I, I think... I think that's probably a reflection of God in us that we don't even want to recognize. And I think God does the same thing. When he disciplines us, it, it is at the point where, where he has taken long enough, he sees we're off in the woods, we're off track, and he goes, i got to do something. I, I've sent him the word. I've got this great book that I want all to read and, and to see in there and, and get to know me through that. And to know what I like and what I don't like and the behavior I want and what I don't want. But if they're not going to spend time in that, let me, let me, let me take Ken. I'll, I'll send Ken over to him and I'll let Ken talk to them. And then if they won't hear that, 
You know, we're in their waffle shop. I want to see if I can't get someone to sit right behind them. You know, and when they won't listen, I'll send someone else so they'll hear it again and again. Oh, that's for the guys. And again and again. But God is long-suffering in those things. He is patient with us. But his discipline towards us is out of love, and it's out of the delight that he sees in moving us closer to him. Hebrews 12, verse 10. For our earthly fathers disciplined us for a few years, doing the best that they knew how. But God's discipline is always good for us. Say, always good so that we might share in his holiness. He's always moving us towards his holiness, always moving us towards righteousness, always taking us uh, out of this decayed uh, clay imperfectness and moving us closer to him. Verse 11, no discipline is enjoyable while it's happening. Ask your kids. Nobody likes to go sit in the corner, sit in time out, get a paddling. Get a whooping from the belt or the fly swatter. That's what we had. No one likes dad reaching over the back seat trying to get him. No discipline is enjoyable while it's happening. It's painful. But afterwards, say afterwards, there will be a peaceful harvest of right living. I like the way the, the New American Standard says it. It says, afterwards, it, the discipline, yields a peaceful fruit of righteousness. And again, that's what he's moving us towards. So, how do you know whether it's God's hand or whether the enemy is moving in it? it? Has everything to do as to whether it's bringing you life or death. Whether it's turning you towards the Father or whether it's driving you away whether it's being done in love or it's being done out of hurt. So difficult seasons will come. Seas will rage. And times of discipline will come. And in the midst of it, you have to ask yourself, where is it coming from? Is there a lesson to be learned here? Does my heart need to turn towards him? And it's hard to see in the midst of it where it's coming from. Because in the midst of it, you just know the storm is raging and you just know the pain is real. But if God's in it, and I believe that he so often is, even when the enemy tries to come against us, I believe God is in it and goes, you know what? Let me just tweak that a little bit. So discipline will come. And thank God for discipline. Because it, it's how he turns us from all of those little things that, that we haven't learned, all those lessons we haven't learned, all those behaviors we haven't quite perfected. And it's how he says, come on, child. Let me show you a better way. I know this isn't what you want. I know you wanted to go do that thing. And it's going to feel like I'm taking it away from you. 
It's going to feel like punishment in the moment. But if you'll trust me, and if you will allow me to discipline you, I have this peaceful harvest of right living on the other side of this. This peaceful fruit of righteousness that I want to get you to. And let me encourage you this morning that if you find yourself in a season of discipline, know that God only disciplines those he loves. And so if you're being disciplined, know that it's at the hand of a loving father. And if you can recognize that and you can accept that in your heart, that, that the, there's a loving father that's trying to turn you away from something, who's trying to turn you towards him, one, it makes the discipline a whole lot less painful. And rather than praying, God, let the pain stop. Take it away from me. And giving the enemy credit for something that he's not in. If we can turn to God and say, God, thank you for your discipline. Thank you that you love me enough not to leave me where I was, not to leave me on that path to destruction, not to lead me, uh, leave me on that path to the, to the hard-headedness and the, the cold-heartedness. And, and Lord, thank you for moving my heart towards you, for softening it and making it more like you. Because in the end, he delights in you. He delights in his children. So as we close out here today, I just want you to know that God disciplines the children that he loves. And he is long-suffering and patient, both with his children and the people that don't know that they are supposed to be his children. And he has not called us to be a judge and jury. He has not called us to punish people for their ways of error. But he has called us to be fathers. He has called us to take a good word, good news, to our lost brothers and sisters. And whether they know him or they're yet to know him, it's our job to go and wrap our arms around them and love them to Christ. But I do know those hard seasons will come. And if you find yourself in the midst of one of those hard seasons, I just want to offer up this morning that we'll gather around you and pray for you. We'll pray that God will reveal to you where his wisdom and his hand is in it. We'll pray that God will let you learn this lesson. We'll pray that your heart is softened and can be turned to him. So if that's you this morning, if you would just take a bold step of faith and come up front. You've got a family here that loves you. And in the best that we can represent Christ, we want to gather around you and pray for you. And if not, just know that when those seasons come, and they will come, 
as far as I know, we have not all grown into the maturity of faith where we are, have achieved that oneness with Christ. It's God's desire. It's God's desire. But we're all on a journey to get there. And just know that God may discipline you. So when things get turbulent, when the seas get choppy, and your footing is a little shaken, ask God to reveal to you what's in it. Is his hand in it? Is he trying to turn you to something? And I believe that willingness to go to him and ask for that wisdom and that clarity will help shorten that season. So Heavenly Father God, as we close out this morning, God, we thank you for your discipline. We thank you, Lord, that you love your children enough to reach from heaven into our circumstance, whatever that may be, and that you will turn us towards you. And God, give us understanding in the moment. Give us understanding in the moment, God, when, when the, the wind is whipping, when the seas, uh, Father, are, are just raging around us. God, quicken our spirits and let our minds and our hearts be aware of your presence in the midst of it. God, let us seek your face and seek understanding. Let us see, God, how, how turning, Father, towards you leads us to righteousness. Lord, I thank you that you look upon your children. Father, that you see us. Father, that you see the burdens on our life. You see the difficulties and challenges that each one of us face. And that you are there with us, holding our hand through it all. And Father, I pray this morning that if any here don't know you, God, that as they lift their voice, Father, and they pray to you, and acknowledge you as Lord and Savior. God, I'd ask that you would just fill their heart. Father, that you'd let their Holy Spirit, Father, just fill their heart with a warmth they've not sensed before, God, and let them know that they are a child of God. So, Lord, we give you our praise and thanks this morning. We just ask that you would bless every heart. Father, let us go in peace, knowing that a loving Father is looking down from heaven upon us. and that you delight in your children. Lord, we give you our praise and thanks in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. We want to thank you for listening in today. At The Well, we believe in cultivating a culture for more of God. Wherever you are in your relationship and walk with God, we believe that there is always more for those who diligently seek after Him. If you would like to find out more, please check out our website at thewellmichigan.com connect with us on social media.